You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the Break a Bat podcast where baseball meets Broadway. An attempt to show that my two favorite mediums don't have to live in such separate worlds and maybe even break some stigmas. We're happy to have you with us. Now let's play ball. Hello and welcome to another edition of Break a Bat, where baseball meets Broadway. I'm your host, Al Malafronte, coming at you for the Broadway Podcast Network, and I'll tell you right off the bat, uh, when you have guests like our special hitter joining us tonight, uh, so often these are among my favorite episodes. I think everyone who listens to us regularly knows that I have a strong affinity for welcoming guests with a body of work that's played a huge role in my life going all the way back to my childhood. Um, I love to give context here in the opening. Uh, you know, I'm going to take you back to that eight-year-old kid moving to Long Island with his family. That kid all bummed out about having to leave my house and my school, my friends. Uh, It was also new to me at the time, a huge change. Um, But one thing that helped me through what I consider to be a really difficult time of adjustment were those nights when my sister Megan and I would sit down and flip on the Disney Channel to watch Growing Pains reruns. And uh, I'm sure many of the New Yorkers in our audience remember how the Seaver family lived in Huntington. Huntington's a really great place, by the way. You know, you got La Parma Restaurant, Walt Whitman Mall, and of course, our good friend of the show, Patrick Golden, lives over there. Pat, I know you're listening. And as a young kid, I just thought it was so cool that there was this TV family I could laugh with and learn from every night that was in some ways, a representation of my new home and, you know, brought me a level of comfort. And of course, that family and sitcom was very much anchored by its incredible leading lady who I feel so blessed to sit down with tonight. I think in a lot of ways, it's so fitting she's joining us when she is as we close out Women's History Month because she's really authored such a phenomenal legacy as a woman in show business, uh, both as an actress and now as a director. Her career spans 45 years and counting, which I think is such a testament to her talent and passion for her craft that I, you know, I think everyone can admire and learn from it. I'm just so looking forward to this next hour. So with that being said, I ask you all to please turn your attention to home plate. Just beyond the marquee, now batting, Joanna Kearns. Joanna, welcome to Break a Bat. <laughs> oh, thank you. I feel really old right now. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I'm not 45. Uh, oh gosh, that's funny. That's funny. Um, that was a very nice intro. I'm I'm honored. Thank you. 
You're welcome. It's an honor for me. And you know, if you couldn't tell, I look at you through a very special lens. I mentioned, you know, being eight years old and, you know, this kind of being a sports crossover podcast. The period when I first started watching you and my audience knows this was right when I first started watching like Derek Jeter and Paul O'Neill win championships for the Yankees. So you occupy some really prime real estate in that chapter of my life, which just makes today so cool for me. Well, you know that uh, Neil Marlins was a Seaver fan when he from you know he's from new york so it's tom Seaver, right tom Seaver, tom Seaver. yes a, and neil marlin's creator of growing pains for our audience yes neil marlin's creator of growing pains and he loved it and there's a lot of references in the show to um his his love of the sport and all of that so one subtle one that I didn't catch until recently when I was getting ready for this episode, you were the Seavers and your neighbors and your friends were the Kuzmans, the 69 right. Mets. That's right. Right. Yeah. Jerry yeah. And Tom yeah. yeah. No, he was great. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I love it that you have this uh, podcast that combines the two because they really are uh, quintessentially entertainment, for, especially it's so American baseball and growing pains. I think it's, I think it's great. I think it's a great combo. I couldn't agree more. And I know you're a California girl. I have to know, because you have a lot of teams you could root for, you know, growing <laughs> up out there. Who, who did you pick, Joanna? Well, you know, I, I you know, I'm going to sound really bad. I come from a sports family. My sister was uh, an Olympic swimmer. I don't know if you know this. And Donna Deverona. And she was the youngest member of the 1960 Olympic team. She went to Rome. And then she, in 64, she went to Japan, to Tokyo, and won two gold medals. So we were a swimming family. You know, my dad watched football, and he watched everything. Football, especially if it was college. He wasn't much of a pro uh, uh, game watcher, but he loved sports, any kind of sports. So, But I, I, I was more uh, into the arts. And you started as a gymnast, though. I know that, to my understanding, you caught the the theater and performing bug later because I, you know, I heard I heard a little bit of that. You had a nice athletic background of your own. Yeah, yeah, I did. I I I was a gymnast, and I I actually got as far as the Olympic trials in 1968. The only problem was I was five foot seven, and and Kathy Rigby was under five feet. So uh, it it was. it was a hard sport to be tall in. And um, it was, it was, it was a great time, but it was a, it was a, it was hard to be a big girl and, and do the uneven bars and, and tumble. Nobody wanted to spot me. I just remember that they go, Oh God, here she comes. Yeah. <laughs> I wish that this was a video feed so the folks could see the visual that you just painted for everyone. That was great. <laughs> yeah, don't fall on me, Joanna, please. <laughs> well, I'm so happy that you chose the path that you did. And I know that, you know, even throughout this pandemic, you've been quite busy directing. How's everything going out in uh out on the lots of uh Disney Plus right now? You're working on the high school musical series. Right, right. I mean, we have gone back to work. I mean, it is a different world. I direct with uh, two masks on and a shield and a microphone uh, where I talk to the cast. I, I can't be on the set with the cast without being all covered and shielded because they are unmasked. 
and um, we do we have separate zones that we work in. Um, if you're like the director and the director of photography and the 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 gaffer who does all the lighting, those people are in what they call zone A, and zone A comes comes in, the actors come in, they rehearse, they leave, and everybody rehearses in mass, they leave, and uh, a guy comes in with a fog machine, fogs the set, uh, wipes everything down, and then the crew comes in and lights, and we get everything ready, they fog it after the crew, and then um, the kids come back in and we shoot the scene. And, and for high school musical in particular, it's, it's, it's tricky because they're singing and dancing exactly what you're not supposed to be doing. So it, it has been, we're tested every other day. I mean, we're very careful. We're very careful, but it's, uh, it's a, it's a hard one. So hard to work this way. And how do you like working the musical theater scene again? Well, you know, actually, when I started in the business, I I dropped out of UCLA to go on the road with Gene Kelly in a Gene Kelly musical. I was a dancer. And so for me and my first job, at, my second job after that was Two Gentlemen of Verona uh, for Joe Papp. Um, and I was in the chorus. Um, so I music and and dance are in my bones, but I had the last few years, I'm, I'm starting to do more of that. I, I directed big musical numbers on Jane the Virgin and crazy ex-girlfriend and, and especially uh, on high school musical. And I just love it. Plus these kids on this show are crazy talented. So really, it's a really great group to work with. I mean, Olivia Rodrigo, while I was working there, uh, released driver's license and became the biggest selling artist in the last 30 years for that song. And it all happened in a week. I mean, it was crazy. Suddenly Jimmy Fallon's imitating her and doing a, a send up of her song. And she's, I mean, it's, 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 um, it's just incredible to see what happened in such a short amount of time. And you've, you've had such a varied career, especially on the directing front. I know you've worked on quite a few, you know, quite a few projects over the years, especially with television. Um, I have to know, how did you enjoy working on the pitch series? Oh, I loved it. I loved it. And, you know, I had the episode that didn't have a lot of baseball. And you have to know, um, you know, we filmed the baseball segments of pitch in the parking lot at Paramount. I didn't get to go into the, you know, the dugout or do any of that, but I, I love directing that show. And Kylie was such a wonderful actress to work with. And, you know, we talk about your directing career and to my understanding, it was right during that final season of Growing Pains when you first got your start doing that. And at the time, you were really one of the first women in the industry, you know, to get behind the camera and take that sort of initiative. What was it that compelled you to want to do that, you know, back in 1992? You know, I, I just, you know, I think because Growing Pains came the success of Growing Pains came relatively late for me. 
you know, I, I mean, late, I was, you know, 32 or whatever, but I, I figured I always was fascinated with what went on behind the camera. And I started while I was this first, I didn't get to, to direct till the very, very last season. And I was asking every year if I could direct, but we had a one director and he, he wouldn't step aside for me to, to direct one. And I actually got to direct when he left the last season of the show. But I, I was always fascinated with how it all went together. And I love the camaraderie that you have behind the camera. It's a whole different feel than in front of the camera. It's a whole different experience because as a director, you're really, especially in one camera in your film shows, in your shows like ER, Grey's Anatomy, or This Is Us, you're, you get a script and you, you make it possible to tell the story tell the story, not just visually and with performance, but you have to figure out with the limited time you have, how I'm going to get all this done in the time I have. So you actually, as a director, you have to not only see the entire piece as a whole, every shot, you kind of pre cut it in your head when you're shooting. So you get the shots you need, but you have to coordinate all the different departments and everybody in their department is is as important to the finished product as you are. I don't care if their costumes or their lighting or their locations or it's craft service. Everybody's role is so important. So it feels you're you're just kind of this bigger world in a way than when you're acting because when you're acting, it's a very even though you're acting with someone, it's still a solitary kind of experience because it's about you and your part and it's about the piece, but it, it's not coordinating this whole uh, circus around you. And I, I kind of really responded to that. I love that. I'm going to bring up a quick baseball parallel here. It's almost <laughs> like when, you know, that's what we have to do. I'm sitting here with the Yankee hat, Joanna, and, and I've got the 98 Yankees on my mind. They had a catcher on that team uh, named Joe Girardi. Okay. And Joe Girardi, uh, he ended up becoming a manager about 10 years after he you know, had last played for the Yankees. And he ended up managing a lot of the guys that he ended up playing with. I mentioned Derek Jeter. He was on uh-huh. the team and Andy Pettit, guys like that. How did your castmates react to you, know, you suddenly being the one in charge? And what do you remember about that first episode that you actually uh, directed? I remember Alan. Th- well, Alan Thicke's best jokes were usually at my expense. He was a very funny man, and uh, we had a great, easy relationship, and we could really tease each other. And uh, he he was a big uh, he was a big advocate of me directing because he said uh, I directed him all the time. <laughs> I was always telling him what to do. But no, he, uh, they were, they were great. They were all great. They, uh, nobody else really cared to direct. So I think they, uh, they liked it when I stepped in and they, they kind of went out of their way to make it easy. 
I'm glad to hear that. Now, you mentioned Alan Thicke. Why do you think the two of you just had such great chemistry? Because, you know, we've seen a lot of, you know, TV couples. It could be yeah. very hit or miss, but it was just so natural with the two of you. It was like playing jazz. Well, what do you, <laughs> what do you think it was that made, made it work the way it did? Well, you know, well, Alan was a really handsome guy. I mean, there was an attraction. We had an attraction. I mean, we just, you know, we were working together and I, I, I felt like, I mean, he, he was a little bit of a, uh, he's gone now, but he, he liked the ladies. So, you know, you just, you don't, uh, you don't kiss anybody where you work. That was kind of our, our thing, but there was always that attraction. And um, I think it played and we just had the ability to make fun of each other in the best way. And um, he always made me laugh. He just made me laugh. And I think if you can make me laugh, I'm going to have a big crush on you. You know? Wow. I never knew this. This is, that's where it came from. Yeah. I think we had a little, you know, we, I think there was a great deal of respect for one another and, uh, and a gen a, and a true attraction, but we never did anything about it. So <laughs> I, was was too, I was too old for him. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Touche. Touche. That's right. That's right. I'm not going to get into that, we but yes, I am aware that. of the story. <laughs> And now what was it like getting to work with the kids? Because, you know, I understand you had a really great relationship with Jeremy Miller and obviously Kirk Cameron became a mega star right away that helped carry the show along with you and Alan. What was it like working with that caliber of talent, uh, you know, especially given how young they were? No, working with the kids was great. And they were really young when we started. Jeremy was seven. Tracy was maybe 14. Kirk was 15. I mean, they were young. And so, you know, they kind of took their cues from us. And uh, we had fun every day. I mean, we just laughed every day. And they were kind of around all that teasing and, and all that. And it, 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 it kind of, it, we just had a very happy set for the majority of the show. What was your favorite episode? Oh, my God. I think one of my most memorable episodes was, it's, you know, this is a long time ago. So um, the kids had, they brought in a homeless guy to pose as a college recruiter. And his name, I remember the actor's first name was Carmine. And Carmine was missing some teeth. And I have to tell you, it was, we couldn't get through the taping because I was crying. I was laughing so hard. I mean, it it reminded me of the old Carol Burnett show where they'd be in the middle of the skit laughing at themselves. And uh, we were, we had those kind of days. I mean, the, the, the episodes kind of run together for me because you you do them one after another so it isn't a one-off it was more about the whole experience of the family that was so great yeah and that carried you know 
that carried offset as well. You know, I understand, you know, even your kids got to be very close with the <laughs> cast members or your daughter, Ashley, I should say. And, you know, that's, uh, you, you could see that it was very authentic. And I don't think that we see that a lot in many family sitcoms today. And, you know, the thing that always amazed me too about Growing Pains, as funny as it was, um, you touched on some very serious topics. Let me ask you, as an actress, what were your first reactions when you saw these scripts that would sometimes tackle anything from like, drunk driving to cocaine to racism did it surprise you in any way that you well, were you know, touching I, on that deep i love that they did that because i i think if there's ever a a, a platform to do that that's that's it and um i know the drunk driving was um matthew perry right mm-hmm. and um brad pitt was uh I love that episode. The I think it was called Feet of Clay, and it was about, you know, Alan takes Kirk to a concert with his favorite rock star, played by Brad Pitt, and um, he turns out to not be the guy he thought he was. It's all about, you know, you idolize somebody and you meet him in person, and maybe they aren't that. And so it wasn't all squeaky clean, and I I, I thought they really – wrote some pretty interesting material. Yeah. You know, it's about transitions. It's, you know, families go through transitions. Families go through, it'll be really interesting to see what happens in comedy post COVID to see how they deal with it. Cause right now everybody's trying to figure out how to have shows that look like it doesn't exist. I mean, there's one, series on the air where they actually are wearing masks, but they seem to wear the mask and then they get into the room and then they take the mask off. <laughs> I, I don't know how that works, but you either have to be before or after or in a, in a world beyond, you know, where we're not dating it. Um, it'll be interesting to see what kind of comedy comes out of this because comedy comes out of heartache. It really, the best comedy comes out of heartache. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, that's true. Overall, what do you think about, you know, the new family sitcom or the new, you know, primetime family sitcom, you know, in recent years? Have you, you know, as a veteran of the industry, been pleased with it? Well, I love Modern Family, you know, and Modern Family's been on for how long? I don't know if that's considered the new family sitcom. What would you say is the new family sitcom? What is the the hit one right now? 
I think Modern Family in recent years is probably the gold standard. I can't yeah. really sit back and say that there's been anything on the level of what you accomplished or, fa- you know, family ties, yeah. you know, some of that golden era, uh, full house, you know, golden yeah. era stuff there. Right. Well, we had a different audience. I mean, there was four networks. You got to understand there were four networks. I mean, Growing Pains was not a number one show, but 33 million people watched it every week. Now, if so, if you have a million viewers, you, you're on the map. I mean, it's a big, it's so spread out. It's really hard to know. I mean, I think there's been some really interesting one camera comedy shows that have been done. Like, I mean, even High School Musical, I think Tim Fedeley's writing and uh, Zach Dotis who are doing that show. I think it's really smart and very clever and not too precious. And um, I really, I love, I love the rhythm of that comedy. Um, I thought Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was great. I thought Jane the Virgin was amazing. Gina Rodriguez is amazing. Um, But those are one camera shows. And when Growing Pains was on, I remember I wanted to do one camera comedy and they didn't sell. You couldn't sell a one camera comedy. Can you believe that? And then Malcolm in the Middle came on and changed all that. Right. It was really great. What you accomplished was just so incredible. And uh, I, ha- I have to know, during that final season, you had a chance to work with Leonardo DiCaprio. Did you oh, know that he was going to be a star right away? <laughs> well, you know, that's I got to do the episode that sent him off because they let him go off Growing Pains. They, did you know that? What happened? Well, I think they didn't, you know, they knew the show was ending. Uh, Leonardo had auditioned for This Boy's Life, I believe. I I don't know how it actually worked out, but he needed to get out of the show in order to work with De Niro on This Boy's Life. And Alan and I actually went to the heads and said, you got to let him go. I mean, there's not enough for him to do here. We're going to be done with the show anyway. And so I got to direct the episode where his dad comes to, to pick him up and take him back. Cause remember the Seavers found him in a closet. This is so preposterous. Found him in a closet at the school. <laughs> it was the last year of the show. It wasn't our original showrunners. I'll, I'll tell you that, you know, uh, yeah, I, w- I was uh, thrilled to get to work with him. I knew he was really talented. I mean, did I know he was a mega movie star? I I didn't know that. But after I saw This Boy's Life and um, eating Gilbert Gregg, like, uh, right, Gilbert Gregg, I just I just went, oh, my God, this this kid is nothing's going to stop him. Yeah. You know, the legacy of that show, it's been almost 30 years uh, since it's been on the air. I, it just amazes me how the power now is still as strong as ever. These days, is that, do you still get recognized wherever you go, Joanna? I do. I do by by people like you. I mean, what happened with Growing Pains is it was on from 85 to 92. And then it was on the air somewhere for the next 26 years. And I think it's only was off the off the air for about four. It's back. It's back on Amazon. 
I mean, it's it's like, I mean, I think the gold standard is I Love Lucy, obviously, but Lucy, you can always find somewhere, right? But this show just doesn't stop. It's the, the gift that keeps on giving. I'm so grateful that that's the case. And it's... Uh, yeah. It's 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 so you know during this pandemic I've had a lot of free time to you know watch quite a few shows and it's been really fun to revisit that one for sure. Oh and my god, you know, makes this so cool. Well, you saw it on Disney Plus, so you saw. Oh it on no, Disney, Disney Channel as Disney a kid. Disney Channel, okay. Because yeah. when we did when we did Growing Pains, it was on ABC, and that was before Disney bought ABC. Right. So you know it, that was well down the line. It went ABC, then uh, syndication, and then I don't know where it went next. It might have been the Disney Channel. I'm not sure. Yeah, I know it was Disney Channel for a little bit. Uh, I think ABC Family, or maybe it was Fox Family back then. And then, you know, throughout this pandemic, all the folks at home can watch it on Amazon. And <laughs> <laughs> There's my plug for Growing Pains. There's your plug. There's your plug. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it was a, it was a, it was a wonderful. Uh, almost eight years for me. It changed my life. Uh, when I got the show, uh, I was going through a divorce. And the next, you know, seven years were guaranteed income, guaranteed laughs, uh, a, a huge success. People loved it. And I started to think about what I was going to do next. And that's where the directing really got started for me because people don't know this, but in order to direct television, you have to be in the Directors Guild of America. And in order to be in the Directors Guild of America, which is the guild that, you know, kind of oversees all primetime programming and some, some independents aren't through the DGA, but... You, you had to get a card, and in order to get a card, you had to have a job. So it was that first job, and Growing Pains gave me that, which was great. You know, you've accomplished so much on the performing front and the directing front. What's the passion project that you have in your head right now that you'd love to bring to life from the ground up? You know, I'm, I'm really not, sh I'm working on something now. I'm struggling with it. I mean, I optioned a book that I'm trying to uh, develop into a limited series. Um, uh, and I can't really talk about it because it's not there yet. Um, I'm hoping this will be a, a series that would run two, three seasons. Right now, that's my passion project. Uh, but I'm, what's been wonderful about being a episodic director is I'm, I move through these different shows. I, I, I were, I did for Dan Fogelman, I did pitch and I did this is us. And for John Wells, I did ER. And then, uh, then I'm, I'm get, I'm going off to do FBI, but I'm FBI is coming on the heels of doing why women kill for Mark Cherry, who did desperate housewives. I mean, I, I kind of do all different genres 
which is, you know, always, it, it keeps it really interesting. But what I'd love to do is uh, produce and direct my own show. You know, not that I'm in, but that I would be from the ground up on in the writer's room and uh, helping hire the directors and helping kind of be part of the team that 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 launches a show and sees it through season after season. That that would kind of be my dream job right now. I'd love to see that happen because, you know, one thing I should have mentioned in the intro is that you're the good stuff, Joanna, in show business, both on camera, behind the camera, and off the set. And, you know, you've always made it such a point to empower young creatives, particularly young women in the industry. How satisfying is it for you to see not one, but two women nominated for Best Director at the Oscars this year? I know. I know. And, and, the, and the two women that really inspired me who were doing it before me when you said I was one of the early ones. I am, I am kind of one of the ones, early ones in prime time. But before me, there was Mimi Leader, who uh, I met her in the 70s doing a very silly movie that her father directed, her brother wrote, and she was a script supervisor. And Mimi Leader went on to do ER with John Wells and is the producing director on, uh, on the morning show right now. And she also, Steven Spielberg picked her to do his first big feature when he started his uh, studio. So she, she was a groundbreaker. And Leslie Glatter is also somebody I really look up to who just got the DGA nomination again for Homeland has won for Homeland many times, but these are the women that kind of came before me and who were very uh, supportive of me coming in and directing. You know, it was, uh, I mean, we all have to help each other. And I think that, I think that Betty, stop it. She wants to be on the podcast. Um, I'd love to have her on. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, no, uh, I've, I've mentored an, a lot of women and I'm always so excited when they get a, a shot. And it's, it's so exciting to see two women nominated for Academy Awards, but also it's just really exciting to see when I look at a slate, when I go on a show and I see that half of them are women and I was nominated uh, as an alternate to the, the board of the DGA, the Directors Guild of America uh, this year. And more than half are women for the first time in the history of the Guild. And it's, it's changing. It's exciting. And pretty soon it won't be the best woman for the job. It'll just be the best director for the job. And that's where I hope we get to. I hope so too. And, you know, it's a really great step forward. And, um, you know, Joanna, one thing I wanted to highlight tonight is how wonderful it's been to see you use your platform the way you have, especially when it comes to not only, you know, mentoring and, you know, giving back to, uh, you know, paying it forward, I should say, to young female directors. But um, 
when it comes to dealing with topics that go far beyond the set. And I really admired how vocal you were about your own experience with breast cancer and how you overcame it. What was it that compelled you to share your story and really serve as, you know, such a source of inspiration uh, to people on that front? You know, I, I felt, thank you for asking, by the way. Uh, I, I feel so lucky to have had the resources I did to get the screenings I did when I did to have the money to do it, to have the insurance to do it, and to have access to a doctor who knew that my type of breast tissue, which many women have, it's called dense breast tissue, does not uh, is not easily read by a mammogram. And she made me get uh, either an MRI and in the case that found my cancer, a contrast mammogram where they inject you with a dye and anything that uh, isn't cancer falls off. And uh, I remember seeing the image on the screen when the doctor had me come in. He said, I, you know, I was the last one in the waiting room. And he said, I need you to come in and see something. Uh, we found something. And I looked up on the screen and even I could see it where a mammogram looks like, you know, it's, it's gray fog. You can't, I mean, somebody really has to know how to read it. And, but if I hadn't had those resources, if I hadn't had, uh, Christy Funk as my doctor, if I hadn't had, uh, my health plan, I wouldn't have had that image. I wouldn't have caught it early. And, there is a great percentage of the women in this country who don't have that and don't know about that. And if I do anything in my years remaining, I'm going to fight for, for covered screenings for women with all breast types and the right kind at the right time. I mean, they're telling a lot of women that they don't need to have anything until way later and you don't need to have it every year. And, because insurance doesn't want to pay for it. So I I was so grateful and I'm and I'm well and I'm it's gone and uh uh I'm healthy but I want other women to have the same opportunity I did. It's just uh the way you shared your story just now, I mean, it's just, it, I know that this comes from the heart when you talk mm-hmm. about it, which is just so great. And you are, in fact, doing more than well. And you look better than ever, Joanne. <laughs> doing so many great things. It's just like, you. It's, you know, it's the ultimate story of triumph. And I think that, you know, especially as we celebrate, uh, you know, Women's History Month here, I think that, uh, you know, the folks at home could certainly draw uh, quite a bit of inspiration from you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Now, uh, now, one thing I have to know, because, you know, we touched on it a little bit earlier. I know you kind of got your start, uh, you know, in show business right here in New York City. Uh, <laughs> or on the other end of this thing, would you ever consider directing some Broadway or performing in Broadway? I, I got to ask that for our, uh, our theater fans at home. Oh, well, I would <laughs> love to do both. I mean, I actually, many, many years ago... Uh, I was in New York. I was looking for a place to live. I had done 
girl interrupted and Winona Ryder was selling her place. And I was seriously thinking of moving to New York and just trying to work there. And it was before the directing really took off. I was trying to write. I was, you know, I was acting, but I was, I just, I just didn't know what the next step would be. And um, I love New York and I want to see, I want to see Broadway back. I want to see off Broadway back. I want to see theater back. And um, you, uh, we were speaking a little bit, you and I before the show about Dan Loria, who's, who's getting all these great actors to, uh, I, I believe he's gotten everybody from Lin-Manuel to uh, Edie Falco to Joe Montaigne to uh, Wendy Malick, all to uh, read, you know, sh like short five minute pieces that they love or they've written uh, in support of the theater. And he's raised a lot of money and, uh, I'm I'm hoping to see it back soon. I'm getting ready to go to New York right now. I'm getting ready to go do FBI in New York. Oh, nice. Where where in the city are you shooting? We shoot in Brooklyn, but we shoot all over the city. I mean, the stages are in Brooklyn, but New York is the set. That's fantastic. It's I'll have to really talk to Ashley. We can meet for a slice or something. That yeah, would be we great. Should, we should meet for a slice. You know, I uh, no, I was there last year. I was filming an episode from February 10th, and they shut us down on March 12th. I was all over New York and all five boroughs. It, you know, you you really feel when you do a Dick Wolf show like you're making mo movies. I mean, it's the city was our our. Uh, uh, our locations all over the city. It was just really fun to do. That's awesome. Yeah. Now uh... it's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Joanna, I uh, we play a little game here on this <laughs> podcast. It's called Fastball Derby, and you know, I, I I'm not sure, you know, but based on what you're telling me, I don't think you got over to Yankee Stadium, you know, I, on your last trip here. I but. did not. No, I did okay. Not. I want you to visualize yourself there in the batter's box, though, right now for this little segment here, and I want you to think of. Uh, me as Araldus Chapman, the uh, you know the fast throwing Yankee closer, uh, he holds the record for fastest fastball. Uh -huh. Think of yourself as the hitter. Fast fastballs coming in at you, and you got to think quick. You got to think on your toes. I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to oh, tell dear. me the first thing that comes to your mind. I know it's pretty oh, scary. Oh we call my it God, fastball it derby. 
<laughs> oh dear. Be, be kind. Deal. <laughs> Let's see how you do here. Okay. Favorite New York City meal. Oh. Oh, oh. Pizza. Pizza. Team Derek Jeter or Team Alex Rodriguez? Derek Jeter. Let's go. All right. That's the, that is the uh, the second of our last three guests to answer Team Derek Jeter. And it's nice to know, folks, that I am bringing in some real winners into the batter's box, <laughs> given answers like that. Excellent. Team Jeter all the way. <laughs> so good. Greatest baseball game or sporting event you've ever been to? Oh, well, the opening of the Olympic Games in Los Angeles in 1984 was not an event, but it was it was the most exciting day. It was really exciting. All-time favorite musical? I have to say Hamilton. The best. The best. I swim to it. I, I have it on my audio flood earphones and I swim to it. I love it. Room Where It Happens is my all-time favorite show tune, Joanna. And Hamilton, <laughs> a- after seeing the movie, uh, it's in the running for favorite musical for me. I never got to see it on stage, so I feel guilty saying that, you know? But oh, and <laughs> I, know I, haven't, I haven't seen it on, uh, on, on, in, on film yet, but I hear it's wonderful. I think after we finish recording tonight, you know what you're going to do with the rest of your Tuesday night. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. I can't wait to see what else he's going to do. He's so talented. And Tommy Kale did the most amazing job directing. It was, it was, it was one of the most exciting nights in theater I've ever experienced. And I, I, I've seen it three times. (laughs) I keep going back. (laughs) You know a thing or two about great American music and you know a thing or two about great California music. Who's America's band? Eagles or the Beach Boys? The Beach Boys. <laughs> Big Brian Wilson fan too? <laughs> yeah, I grew I grew up in Santa Clara, California, and we would, you know, whenever we could, we'd go over to Santa Cruz to the beach and the Beach Boys. I mean, that's my era. I mean, that's great. The Eagles are great too, but, you know. I'm a big Beach Boys guy myself, so that's. He, he, uh, yeah. I, I, he was a little bit of a savant, that guy. Brian Wilson. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, absolutely. You should see, watch Love and Mercy. That was a great movie. It's all. It's like a biopic about Brian Wilson. They have Paul Dano play him in the '60s, and then John Cusack play him in the '80s. It, outstanding. Oh, I will. I will definitely watch that. Yeah. What is your favorite film? Oh, there's so many. There's so many. I mean, every time I see Shawshank Redemption, I cannot stop watching. It just, I think it's one of the great films. Um, Oh, God, there are so many. Might be Shawshank. Might be Shawshank. And I... I know it's different. I mean, it's just such a great character piece. There's a movie about your life. Who plays you? (laughs) Who plays me? 
Oh, that's a hard one. Um, oh, my God. I don't know. Who would you have play me? Wow. That's tough. Kate Blanchett. She can actually do a pretty good American accent, too. Can so I'm gonna say Kate uh, Blanchett. I'll, t- I'll take Kate Blanchett. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Yeah. You could. I could have. I could have chosen a lot worse than Kate Blanchett. I'll take Kate Blanchett. That came to mind right away. <laughs> Most embarrassing onset moment. Most embarrassing. Um. I don't know. I had a lot of embarrassing moments when Alan would say something to the audience in the when you know, we do middle of a take. Um, let's see. I don't. I don't really. I don't really remember a really embarrassing one. I what I what would happen to me is they'd play practical jokes. You know, like I go to do a scene and I remember I went to open a pot on the stage and the sound mixer had a big fart sound come out. And then I just, <laughs> I just, I just, you know, start laughing, you know, and I, there was always a point during the show at a certain point in the year, and maybe I was tired, where if I started to laugh, I couldn't stop. And the audience would then start laughing and then I would cry and then the makeup would come off and then they, you know, and you, you know, it's like when you get silly, it was maybe that constitutes embarrassment. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Opposite side of the ball. Proudest moment of your career. Oh, I'd say, I'd say when Growing Pains got picked up because it was, uh, it was such a a life changing uh, event to have the show go when it went because I was a single mom and I knew I'd have work for a while and it had, and it was a show that was going to be on and the show just kind of went after uh, in the, in the, in the uh, summer reruns, it went right up there and uh, it was very exciting to be, you know, a number two or three show every week during that time it was very exciting. Very proud of it. Proud of the show. And lastly, what's the best piece of advice anyone ever gave you? Never give up. (laughs) Never give up. And my dad used to say, my dad was a big sports guy and uh, I did gymnastics and, you know, you fall a lot in gymnastics. And he said, if you fall, you have to get up. And you have to do it again. It doesn't matter how much it scares you. You got to do it again. So it's all part of the the same idea. And I think it's served me well in my career. Do what you're afraid of. (laughs) Yeah. Because nobody gives you permission to be successful. Only you can do that. I mean, nobody says, 
you know, oh yeah, go ahead. You can be a star. You can star in that movie. You can make that baseball team. You know, nobody says you can be president of your class. You've got to go out and reach for it. And I think it helped me to have a sister who was an Olympic champion because who gets to do that? And I saw how hard she works to get that. And um, it made a difference in my life in a very big way. Did you two have a sibling rivalry? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm glad that it worked out well on both <laughs> sides for sure. I mean, right? What 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 two sisters have had a better uh, trajectory, especially when it comes to sports and the arts, right? So yeah. that, that certainly uh, makes you all the more fit, more all the more of a fitting guest for this podcast. That I, I'm just this was an absolute honor for me in every oh. way, John. I can't oh, thank me, you enough. Me too, Al. And when Ashley and I are in New York, we'll we'll have a slice. I'd love nothing more. And, uh, you know, just speaking of your daughter, Ashley, for a moment, because I another great thing I know that you're working on right now. I know you just joined the advisory board of her nonprofit. Can you just you know tell us a little bit about that? Well, it's called Notes for Notes, and it's an incredible uh, nonprofit that was, you know, started here in Santa Barbara. Um, And what they do is they they started by building out boys and girls clubs and that usually in in the past, a lot of them were just kind of rec centers where kids went, kids who didn't have a place to go after school, latchkey kids, kids underserved youth would go after school. Uh, And what notes for notes did was they built out these boys and girls clubs into recording studios provided musical instruments and instruction. So kids would come in and they weren't just coming in to hang. They were coming in to record music and write music and learn how to play an instrument. And it is so exciting to see the work that's happening and, and, and the voice it's giving because to these kids, because they have a a way, they have a place to go and they, they're learning how to write about what they're experiencing and what they're feeling. And I believe we will have the artists from, for, for tomorrow from programs like this. And now they're starting to go into schools. Uh, they've gone into some, you know, I think just recently a homeless shelter. I mean, it's the arts. We really need to support the arts, especially now because it is our light in the darkness. And it it makes me emotional to talk about it, but I think if COVID showed us anything, we need our our actors, we need our film, we need our music, we need it all. And um, this this nonprofit that my daughter works for is, is really just starting to really take off. And I'm very excited to see where they're gonna go, go next. I'm so happy to hear that you're a part of it, Joanna. And yeah, like yeah. I said, you, you're the good stuff in show business and uh, this was the best. <laughs> Thank you. I love doing it. I love talking to you. Oh, thanks, Joanna. And uh, thanks to all the folks at home listening to Break a Bat tonight. Uh, I hope you could tell just how much I enjoyed it and I hope you did as well. 
this is Al Malafronte signing off for the Broadway Podcast Network. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Break a Bat. This is produced by the fine folks at the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit and subscribe at bpn.fm slash breakabat. You can find me online at break underscore a underscore bat underscore podcast. And you can also find the Broadway Podcast Network on Instagram at Broadway Podcast Network. It's been so great having you here with us today, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.